You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two punts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today, we've got special guests all the way from uh, Arizona, Pia and Lynn. Welcome. How are you both? Great. Thanks. Thanks for asking us to be with you today. No problem at all. I'm uh, I'm super excited to speak to you. I'm massive fans of you, right? I've got to tell you, um, for for the listeners who don't know you, yeah, your your brand um, is Vision Fifty Four, right? Yes, Correct. you got it. And you coach all level of golfers all over the world. That's yes, yeah, yeah. We we coach um, tour players down to what we call the real golfers. <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. Which uh, which ones are harder to coach? Actually, probably some of the tour players. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, I think the puzzle is a little more complex yeah. with the tour players because there's, you know, there's so many factors that are affecting uh, their yeah. living. Yeah. You know, so we, we need to take all those into account. Definitely. That, yeah, I think like for the amateur golf, they have a bad day, then they'll just be, you know, they, they might kick the dog and be a bit angry and then, you know, <laughs> and they're OK. But for the tall players, it is their life. Right. And it's yeah, putting food on the table. So it's a different game. Yeah. And yeah. it's usually like a big support team around when, like Lynn said, so many pieces that, can, yeah. you know, needs to function and can really get to them. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. So, so, but I just wanted to say we do like to call those amateur golfers. They're the real golfers. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the tour players, we consider them more the outliers. <laughs> you know, it's, and yeah. so much is written and talked about with tour players, but we think a lot of what we do at Vision Fifty Four applies to the real golfers, and more real golfers around the world actually need it yeah. to enjoy the game more. Yeah. So. Definitely. I think that's, um, like, as I said, I'm a big fan. I've got your book here, right? Be a player. I've hey, got to say, <laughs> oh, we, we, could, we could read to each other. And, and <laughs> it, I must say to the listeners, it is the best book that I know. And I'm not just saying that to you. I'll say that on any podcast to anyone, right? I think it's the best golf book out there. I've got to say. What do you like about it? I love that it can help golfers with as as it as as the sort of title says it helps them transfer the game from the range to the course or not even transfer it just learn to play the game yes on the yeah. course yeah yeah which you know when you think about it that's where golf instruction started definitely you know, when golf instruction started it started on the course mm-hmm. Because there weren't driving ranges and things so in some ways we like to say we're going back to the future <laughs> I like that. I like that. And it's interesting what you were just saying about, um, uh, you know, people enjoying the game and continuing in the start of the book, you talk about, you know, all the frustrations that golfers have. Right. And like, why can't I, uh, I think that um, some of the comments I remember there are like, I can't take my game to the course. I, I think that playing bad is, is part of me, which is a powerful one. Right. And, those sort of things are, are beautiful words. And, and yeah, and 6 million golfers give up the game, I think, in America in 12 years, was it in that, in that, in yeah. that region? So, yeah. yeah. So we, you know, so we get very, very ex- excited too, because we have a very good discussion with many of the top, you know, technical teachers here in the US, the very well known one. And all of them agree upon that we need to expand what we consider golf fundamentals because of course you know you know you need to know how to cut and chip and hit the bunker shot and I mean there are always things there are going to be things that you can evolve but like you say we need to learn these skills of actually playing the game of golf and many don't know how good the technique is till they've learned these other skills required to play the game of golf so that's why we are so passionate about it that it shouldn't be a mystery it's something any golfer can learn yeah and as Pia said, like we, of course, the technique part is a big, you know, it's a big part of learning the game. But if it's the only thing you learn when you learn the game, yeah. when you get out on the course yeah. and you hit a bad shot, your only default, like the only place you can look is technical. And that leads people down these rabbit holes yeah. that just keep going and going. And, you know, I think it attributes to why we lose so many yeah. golfers in the game. Yeah. I mean, like right now, because of COVID, 
so many golfers are coming into the game, yeah. right? And golf is booming and so forth, but we've got to keep them in the game. Mm-hmm. And if we keep them in the game, we feel like Pia just said, these other fundamentals need to be um, exposed. And we're just so glad you're doing that with, with your clients. Yeah. It's fantastic. I love it. I love it. And I, I share that passion with you that it's more than, it is more than just technique, right? You ask any amateur golfer, I always ask them like, how, what percentage of the game do you think is mental? And they normally say high, high numbers, like 90%. And then it's like, how often do you train that 90%? And they're like, hmm, yeah. Would you agree? Would that be like a fair assessment? Would you say, say something yeah, similar? It's, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's absolutely. And we, we find though, the reason is that we haven't yet had enough applicable things to do. It's been more concepts. And I, we just feel like, you know, people go to the gym, they know what exercises and things to do and their technique, they know the drills to do. But when it comes to the, 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 the more human component of the game, it's just been, it's been way too vague. And that's why we spent so many years now trying to make it more applicable and doable for different players. And I want to say too, it's really important for us to, we go beyond calling it mental because it has to do with your the state of your body mind and emotions so it's 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 much more than mental <laughs> yeah definitely definitely agree yeah yeah and we like to say is that when you go out to play golf it's so inconsistent there's nothing <laughs> consistent from day to day hole to hole you know front nine to back nine and that there's all this variability that's never going away so you need skills to manage your mind, your body, yeah. and your emotions as that variability becomes kind of, um, yeah, it, 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 it becomes tricky because people are like, you know, I was swinging great on the front nine, what happened on the back nine? <laughs> but then they don't know what to do. Hmm. So they need these skills to manage themselves. I totally agree with with the word consistency, why do you think amateur golfers or golfers maybe are obsessed with wanting to be consistent? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty simple because our industry, our <clears throat> we have been feeding that belief. If you just make these swing changes, you're going to be consistent. So I think it's more through all of us being into golf in the golf industry, we have painted that picture that it's about being consistent that you want and if you practice hard enough your swing is going to be consistent and then you know we interpret that as i'm going to be consistent on the golf course yeah well i I, yeah and i i think that has that has definitely been a myth from our industry that if you know that you could groove a pattern that was going to be there and always there but it's not and there's so many reasons why and there's nothing deficient about you as a human being when that pattern doesn't show up the same from day to day. I mean, Brooks Kepka just won here in Phoenix last week. He won the Waste Management Open. And one of the things he said that he finally had to get a hold of and come to peace with is that his golf swing feels different every single day. Yeah. Well, and it's nothing to do with his technique. It has to do with him yeah. just being a human being. Because and it has to do with, you know, how you slept um, if you ate salad for dinner or big Mexican dinner or, you know, what emails you got or if you worked out and your body's tight or who you paired with or the pace of play is different. There's a gazillion different reason that makes us change. So mm-hmm. the cool thing about this game is, is but that's what we call it, being figure out our variability and being able to have tools to manage that. Then your outcomes can end up being more consistent. But it needs to be born out of be curious every day how you're going to be and how your golf game is going to be because for sure it's going to be different than yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the mindset. And when we get golfers get the hold of that, they go like they just like relax and they realize that because they've been trying for something optimal and consistent yeah. and they think something must be wrong because I'm not being consistent and I'm not hitting it great every time. So it's, they're trying for something unattainable. (laughs) Yeah, but I I just want to add, I think Pierre used the word optimal is I think all of us hit that shot where we go, wow, (laughs) right? It's the optimal. 
And then we compare everything that we do to that. And (laughs) (laughs) everything's suboptimal. And that is no way to actually play the game and enjoy the game, you know? So um, I think consistency is like, I want to hit it like that every single time. (laughs) Well, everybody would, but (laughs) it's actually not achievable. Yeah, it's going to come here and there, but make the other shots good enough, then you can be a good player. Right. And that, that, and I just have to say that for us is the 54 journey. That's the, the journey of excellence. It's not lowering your standards, but just knowing that that's how the game is. Totally, uh, totally agree in wise words. So go into the name of your, um, your brand and let, let's talk a little bit about sort of, um, sort of perhaps where you, where you guys have come from and sort of why you built vision 54. You're talking about, that one optimal shot and then you call your brand 54 which uh <laughs> nobody's ever done right but no I've, i have heard you explain this but let's um yeah talk us through that okay yeah so you know so i'm i'm from sweden and i way back i was the head coach in sweden so it started with that i was getting frustrated that all these young swedes i felt having been in the u.s and played the tour lpj tour and college golf and all that i felt they they had too many excuses and they kept saying why we couldn't be as good as the British players or, you know, <laughs> because our winters and our greens are not good enough. So with all these excuses. So we wanted just to change the mindset. So most of them, because these were obviously top players had made birdie on each one of the holes on the home course. So we just challenged them like, okay, if, if you would ever do it during the same round, how in the world would you need to be? How would you need to practice? How would you need to think? So 54 could be possible because you have done it. You just haven't done it during the same round. So we wanted to challenge them at first just to get out of the not so good mindset. But it's one of the smarter things we ever did because it just changed everybody's thinking, including us as coaches. And and so it's and then when Linda started working together, we didn't use 54 at first, but then it's the mindset Lynn had and ways to always look at possibilities. And everybody looked at us as you're the ones that believe in 54. We don't know which century, it doesn't matter, but we still is humanly possibly possible. Mm. But the more important thing about the 54 is what? Well, it's just, it's believing in possibilities and embracing that journey of possibilities. Yeah. And as our tagline says, it's about bringing possibilities to life. Yeah. yeah. And so many golfers would come and they only looked, looked at what's wrong yeah i mean i'll yeah. just say because my my journey as a coach teacher has been well i started out as a swing teacher and as a swing teacher and then my formal education through the pga and so forth we were actually trained to look for faults and fixes you know this is what's wrong with the player's swing and then we needed you know here was a fault and then we needed to fix it so you know, obviously we pass that on to the people taking instruction from us. So they, they come with this mindset of faults and fixes, faults and fixes. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Every time they hit an errant shot, they turn around and go, what did I do there? What, what was <laughs> yeah. that? You know? And it would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't we investigate, you know, when you hit it well, like when things are going well yeah. and like, and that, not for me just to tell you what I see when you hit it well, but for you to actually experience and go inside and start to figure that out. Cause you're the one who actually has to do that when you go play without me <laughs> on the course. Yeah. So, so, true. so, yeah. so that became, so obviously we still think and know it's humanly possible to shoot 54 and many tour players who started shooting 26, 27 for nine holes. But the more important thing is the metaphor of it that yeah. everybody should look at their possibilities and and you know access more of those possibilities. So so the first thing we do when we run a golf school or we have a player who comes for coaching um, is we have them write down at least three things they know they do when they play well. And then that's like a you know just a starting template. Then you know over time with that we want to build that list to be really long that inventory to be really um, yeah, in depth. What are the mental things they do? What are the emotional things they do? What are the physical things that they do when they play well? Good, yeah, because yeah. when they start, they might write, well, my drives are in the fairway or my <laughs> putts go in the hole. It's like that, of course they do, but yeah. you know, yeah. so anything else, you know, like that you actually committed to your decisions or you like the pace of play or, you know, whatever that, you know, the 
smoothness of the swing, I mean that you know, get some more juice, some more ingredients of why the outcome is good. Yeah, I just want to tell the story because it's kind of cute. But the first time we did coaching with Mark Warren, who's a Scottish player <laughs> over there, and um, we were actually coaching at Carnoustie yeah. when when the Women's British Open was there. Yeah. But we got a call that Mark said he'd meet us at a different course and he just wanted some help. So we, we met up with him and first thing we asked him is, Mark, you know, tell us more about when you've played really well, what was it like? And, you know, anything that you noticed that was different. And he said, you know, ladies, one of the things that was really weird, my lowest round, I think at that time was 62 yeah, or something. something. I don't know. And he goes, you know, I was late for my tea time. Hmm. And he said, you know, there was traffic and I didn't get to the course. I didn't get any warm up. I just went straight to the course and I went out and shot the 62 and so, we're like mm -hmm. so how do you usually you know warm up before <laughs> around at a tour event oh i get there hours beforehand and i hit all the clubs in my bag you know blah 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 mm -hmm. and he realized that he was turning his warm-ups into practice sessions yeah like swing fix and if you didn't hit it good you needed to fix something okay but okay. it was just to yeah. look at again like look at those anomalies or like those Oh, when I play well, I seem to be chatting with my friends. Well, maybe that would be a good thing to do more of when you're on the course. Yeah. So anyway. and, and also yeah. for him then he realized I need to change my warm-up. So warm-up is not about hitting it great or fixing something. It's actually just to warm up and create confidence. And I think most every golfer knows that sometimes we hit it great in warm-up and then it just disappeared <laughs> by the time we get to the first tee. Or we also know that we've hit it poorly and warm up and suddenly things start working on the course. So there's no like correlation between how you hit it and warm up and what's going to happen on the course anyway. So many need to re revisit and relook at what do I do. You know, that's why I like many of the British courses when you just have a net to head into to make a few <laughs> swings before going to the first tee. I think yeah. many more courses should have that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Totally, uh, totally agree. It's interesting there, isn't it, with Mark? It's like managing its expectations. He probably went to the course thinking, oh, okay, because I haven't warmed up. Yeah. Who I cares know. about today? Yeah. Like, who knows what he was thinking, right? But that's quite that quite often happens with golfers, doesn't it? Like, even after, like, lockdowns where they can come out playing, they, they haven't played touch a club for two weeks. They think, oh, well, I'm going to play crap today, so that's okay. Right. So they, like, accept it, and then all of a sudden they have their best round ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, 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 yeah, why, why do you think that is? Why, why does that happen so much? <laughs> well, I mean, you already said that they, they play more without expectations. And, you know, so then they just kind of treat each shot for each shot, you know, <laughs> yeah. one shot at a time. Or like our first book is called Every Shot Must Have a Purpose. There's more of that kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And you're just, and you're just more okay with not being perfect. It's playable. You know, you just move on. Yeah, and I, I think too that I've seen this, you know, with there's a novelty or there's like a newness to it too, because you're not playing like a planned round because you have no expectations. So you kind of approach the shot with more, yeah, just more presence and more newness. You're like, oh, I just get to hit this shot. Mm. And that's really a whole different thing than like, oh my God, this is a hard par four. <laughs> you know, I've got a blah, 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 you know, and you got this whole narrative in your head, you know. So I think there's less narrative in people's heads um, when they come yeah. out with no expectation. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. I've I've also played some of my best rounds on courses that are blind, as in I've not played them before. So you turn up, you don't know what to expect. You've not no. done any research. You get on the first team, you're like, right, what's going on here then? Right, okay, well, I'll try and hit it, you know, I'll same over there. It's funny, isn't it? Like if you did a practice round, do you think sometimes that can, you know where the, the rubbish is, right? Or you might go, oh, right, that tenth hole, that is, that's a tough par four, that. Yeah. And mentally, yeah. then you're like, oh, that's tough. So that's like all of a sudden it's a 4.5. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's exactly, yeah. go, like this is way, way, way back. I, I was with, the, <laughs> when I was on the board of the Swedish PGA and we, we, did, we were in, in Scotland, actually, we played Muirfield and I was the only female play in the group so it's a long story many things happened but anyways you know obviously during the normal time of the year there was no pars in the hole and I played with the guys so the many of the the par fours I had no chance of reaching and all that but I didn't know because I never knew if it was what part it was I just played golf and that's mm -hmm. the time I realized like 
I played really well because I played just freely and I didn't care about like, oh, I should reach the screen. I didn't. And, you know, the, the whole self-talk changed. So I just felt so freed up. And when, when we see players like doing that, or like you say, if it's a blind hole or whatever, that what we see is this, there's more freedom to the finish of the swings. And because one of the biggest difference we see players being on the, the putting green or the range going to the course, we go on the course and suddenly it's like <gasps> the outcome <laughs> obsession and they yeah. never finish the stroke focus or the swing awareness to the finish. So it's one of the first thing to whatever you decide to focus on when you swing on the golf course, make sure you keep it till you stick your finish. <laughs> yeah, I like I, it. I just get excited because like last week we did some coaching with Russell Knox, who's another Scottish yeah. golfer. Yeah. And he was you, here. To play. You guys spend more time in the UK than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, was here, he was here in Phoenix because he was playing the waste management. Oh, okay. Sorry. The PGA Tour event. But he, you know, it was so cute because we went out on the course uh, with him and he's like, you know, there were times last year when I was playing poorly where I just look at it and be like, okay, don't hit it there. Don't hit it there. And, um, you know, what's the carry over that bunker? And he was like totally in this defensive mindset, you know, in terms of strategy of the whole. And then he said, you know, I play so much better when I just walk up to the tee and I, I take it all in, but I take it all in more just like, oh, oh, cool. There's water over there. Oh, look, there's Hopi over there, but not like, in a defensive sort of way. And that's such a different, I think often, again, when you play the course for the first time or after a lockdown, you're, you're more in that receptive state, like, oh, cool, look, yeah. And then boom, you hit a shot. It's yeah. not all defensive, you know, I've got to do that. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's true. You look at the hole and you're like, oh, this is a good hole. Look at that nice, like, nice layout. And you look at that. It's interesting, Pete, going back to what you were saying with um, no par, I think, yeah. I often think that par and handicap uh, limit golfers or, yeah, would you? I, yeah, well, you know, we, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a hot topic like that because, you know, with a lot of the, with the new handicap system, many need to post a score when they go out to play and all of that. So yeah. we just know from all our experiences that, of course, we want, everybody who comes to us want to score better, lower the handicap or, you know, do better. So we're all into outcome, but we know the best way possible to achieve good outcome is that you have goals that are actually under your control. And, yeah. you know, what, what is it actually you can take action on and what promises can you make that you're going to take action on? So if you do that, you're more likely to score well. And sometimes we feel with par or handicap or having to post a score, the outcome becomes so overly important that golfers, you know, they actually get frustrated with the game more and they don't know where they should put their attention on. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a very, very important topic that we have to learn that, okay, we do have handicap and we do have pars, but when you play, you actually focus on something different that we call having a playing focus. You're going to get to that later in the book, all of you who read the book with Ollie. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. get there. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, so just take me back to, you both were players on tour. So talk us through your like uh, your playing careers. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I, I'm, a, I'm a dual citizen now, American and Swedish, but I grew up in Sweden. So I was probably the first generation where, with the junior golfers in Sweden, we had we had more opportunities of tournaments and training camps, and the Swedish golf team started having you know a lot of lot of things going on. So I was very very blessed with that. And then uh, me and another Swede were the first one ever to go to the U.S. to play college golf, and yeah. Arizona State University. And from there, I I played the tour, uh, the LPGA tour. And uh, actually, I, did, I was just going to go back home for a while because I wanted to figure some things out, not just to make cuts and survive on tour, but actually win. So I, I wanted to figure something out. And then when I back back to Sweden, they started asking me, like, Pia, you've been in the U.S. and played the tour. Please come and help out a little bit with the younger players. So my career changed without me intending for it to change. <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing that and I realized it was so much fun and everything I've learned and discovered good and bad had some use. So I started totally as a player and never intended to quit. It just happened to me. And then from there I became, you know, got educated and trained as a PGA teacher and, and uh, became Swedish head coach and 
and then after a few years for for all the men's and women's teams in Sweden and um, after you know 10 years of that and it's been really good wanted to have more of a global challenge and Lynn was interested in that too she said let's do something together with the way we look at the game of golf yeah Fab. it was like 23 years ago <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah and, and my journey I mean we're, we're the same age and I played college golf at the same time as Pia yeah. played at a different university yeah. and um, I was I was a good player um, but I didn't know how to take it low um and so i graduated with a marketing and management degree and my dad wanted me to play the tour my mom wanted me to go to law school and i didn't want to do either of those things <laughs> I, I actually i wanted to become a golf professional like a teacher yep. so i joined the pga of america and, and straight out of college um you know studied and became a, a golf teacher and i wanted to only be a golf teacher i mean i was often you know, told like, Lynn, you should become a director of golf or head professional. You'd have a great career, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, ah, I don't want to do that. I love being with people and helping them learn the game and get better at it. And so, as I said earlier, I was very much a technical teacher yeah. because that was what our formal training was. Mm -hmm. But I got, I got interested in that. And I often tell this story is that, you know, I, I was pretty good with with technique and people would, would get better golf swings or better chipping technique or putting technique. And then they go out to play and they didn't always play better. <laughs> and some even played worse. <laughs> but honestly, like as a young professional, I didn't think it was my fault. <laughs> you know, they had better swings, you know, or maybe they were practicing harder. And I, you know, I'd done my job. I didn't know what happened out there. <laughs> but then I, I got interested in that and I got interested much more than the, the human component yeah. um, of playing the game. And so, you know, I sought out books and, you know, uh, education around all of that side of the game. And as Pia said, like then we, I was invited to come speak to the Swedish team. Yeah, and different because we, we kept running into each other at educations and we were at that time often the, the younger youngest ones and the only female ones coming to you know PGA trainings and things like that and we you know we realized we had a little different view of possibilities for the future so when we started doing our golf schools and things like that many told us it's never going to work because we're not doing what everybody else is doing and we said we don't care <laughs> we're going to do it what we think is good for golfers and the future of the game. And we're really happy we stayed stubborn <laughs> and, and just mm. trusted if what we're doing works, someone should tell someone else and the word of mouth should make it happen. So we, we have uh, done it that way. And, and the main thing we want to get to is like golf. Anyone, anytime we ask a golfer, is golf played on the golf course? Everybody says yes. Anytime we ask someone, is golf played by human beings? Everybody always says yes. <laughs> No, if we ask, is the game variable? Everybody says yes. But then his question is, how many skills do you have to actually manage this on the course by a human is variable? Mm -hmm. So we just feel like uh, if we are golf instructors, golf teachers, golf coaches, wouldn't our main job be to help golfers play better on the golf course? We think so. So but right now we have advanced so much that teachers are really good with students in a studio or on the range of putting green and awesome. But we, we're missing the main point. The main point is that you function in the golf course. So we just want to take you know, all the great advancement in technology and technique, but we need to have a little bigger picture because the way we look at it, every club in the world should have teachers, coaches on site to help golfers play better on the course and enjoy it more. So that's what we are so passionate about influencing for the, for the future. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, our litmus test or the way we evaluate if we're, our coaching is working is if people actually play better on the yeah. course and, 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 and then of course, enjoy it more. Yeah. I mean, our whole thing is like, if you're going to spend back to the real golfers, if you're going to spend time, money and energy doing this thing called golf, like, you should actually enjoy it. <laughs> it should be a worthwhile expenditure of your time and your money and your energy. Yeah. So let's help you learn some skills where that's you know possible. <laughs> so uh, so true, isn't it? That we, we almost forget it's a game sometimes. Like 
we, we play the game. We normally come into the game as kids and you enjoy it. And then I think far too often I see golfers get too serious, don't they? And they, they forget to enjoy the game. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and also, you know, it comes so far now for many teachers, but because of it's so easy to look up things on the, you know, social media or internet that, you know, many, many players today try to make swing changes that they can't make. And, <laughs> and because of physical limitation or the age they're in or how much time they actually have to spend practicing. So there can be a big misconception with, what will make you a better player with as much as you play golf and the age you're at and your physical abilities and, 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 you know, so that's another big, big piece. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to make a comment on that because I'm sure you run into it, but people understanding a swing concept and then actually being able to do that swing concept are the, sometimes miles apart. And on so, the court yeah. under pressure. <laughs> so they intellectually understand it and they can maybe even see it and maybe they can even see it on a range or in their living room, you know, or whatever where they're, you know, but it's then when they go out to the golf course, the pattern that they have done the most is always going to show up. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I mean, that's so, just yeah. how motor learning and motor patterning happens. Yeah. So back to Pia's point is just that I just think today we're in this kind of place where people, oh, YouTube, I'm going to try that this today. Oh, it didn't work on YouTube. I'm going to try that. Oh, it didn't work. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so true. So true. Fascinating. I am. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's so true, isn't it? The um, I was just going to say, Pia, you, didn't you play in Solheim Cups and captain the Solheim Cup? I, yeah, I, mean, I was, uh, um, I was uh, vice captain under Mickey you know, Walker, and then I was captain in 98, yes. So I was talking to one of your players on that team this morning. Which one? Alison Nicholas. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And she, she told me that you, uh, you were the captain. Yeah, and it, was, and it was so fun to follow her when you know when she was captain, and and I was it though as a past captain, you get to attend the Solon Cup. So she did an awesome job with that. Brilliant. Yeah. What um what? Let's talk about uh, the the players you've worked with over the years. Tell us um so tell us some names and perhaps go into a bit of detail if you can of how you've helped them. I know in the book you talk about Annika. Annika's coming back to play a yeah. tour event. Has she phoned you for like an emergency call to come and uh, come for a quick lesson? <laughs> I mean, she, she played a couple of weeks ago as one of the the celebrities in the the tournament of champions. Okay. Uh, I think this is at her home course. But I mean, from what I've known, she's you know she's curious to play in the U.S. Women's Senior Opens, and you know she turned fifty at the end of last year. And uh, so it's sure to warm up for those events. <laughs> That's what it is. So tell us about working with Annika then. Yeah, you know, she, since I was the Swedish coach and when I started coaching, she was on our junior team. So she's one of the, you know, one of the first group of coaches, players that I ever coached. So uh, it's been just a great pleasure to be, you know, be part of her support team from during her entire journey and uh, it's just been amazing. I'm just so proud of her. But, you know, it's, it's so important to say when, when she was on the junior team at first, you know, she didn't stand out. She was one of a group of six to eight Swed young Swedish players that were all very promising and very inspired to be great. But she, you know, she, she wasn't one of those childhood stars that just shot off right from the beginning. And uh, I think it's really, really important because many try to guess who's going to be the next superstars, but we always say, just calm down, calm down. <laughs> you know, it's not a race here who can be best the quickest, but so she hmm. had so many years of building such a strong foundation and, you know, before she, so when she started breaking through, even though many thought she wouldn't, she was had a very, very, very solid foundation and, and she, had a good balance of the technical and the fitness and all these human skills. So she, when she started breaking through, she had a, she didn't have many gaps. So it was, and, and she was mature. Sometimes we find it very difficult for those we coach now that 
break through at a very young age, maybe before the 20 or the early 20s. And it's a very, very difficult time and even more maybe for the women than the men because they're not like adults yet. <laughs> they haven't grown up as human beings. When Annika broke through, she was still you know, more in her mid twenties and, and after that. And, and uh, so it was remarkable just to get to follow her career. And we've been fortunate together to uh, support, you know, four different world number one players and nine different players that have won major championships. So it's, it's been a, and from all parts of the world, so it's been a global education for us. Yeah. 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 From, from lots of different cultures. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that's been really fun. Yeah. And, you know, each player is so different. I'll just say, you know, most recently we've helped Aria Jutanagarn. And when Aria came for coaching, I mean, the first time we saw her hit a golf ball, we were like, wow. It was like five years ago, in March, you know. five years ago, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I was like, and you haven't won yet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's, there's like raw, raw material here in terms of her ball striking skills, but she didn't have those skills needed to manage herself on the I course. Know, the short game and putting, it was like, whoa. Oh, I'm yeah. like, she has such feel. So anyway, I mean, she's won now 10 times yeah. and won two majors um, since we've started coaching her. But she's just been a delight to coach because, um, well, I mean, one, very talented, but then also just very open and honest to getting feedback from yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the one thing yeah. that we find is... Because many ask us, who are the players in your stable, for example? And we always say, well, sorry, we don't have a stable. Because <laughs> it sounds like we, we like... They're yours, yeah. Yeah, yeah we um, take them for walks, yeah. you know, no. So we always say that, we, you know, we have a harbor. We have a harbor. And players come to the harbor. And our goal is, though, that they can go out in the open sea and sail in all kinds of weather and they can manage themselves. But if they need to come back to the harbor, they know where it is. So some players need to stay in the harbor longer before going out and some just need a few tweaks and off they go. So it's more a better metaphor that some of these players who coach, they just need a little bit and they know where we are. And some within like an Aimee Sato area Yutanagan, we spend in her sister Maria Yutanagan, we, you know, we spend a lot of time to help them big foundation, but now they're, they're out there and they know where to come back to when needed. But we, it's very important for us that we create the independence that they learn to take ownership of the games and uh, we want the coach not to be needed. <laughs> and that's our, always our biggest goal. You know, friendship can always stay there, but the goal is that they learn to manage themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and certainly Annika yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, was able to do that. Yeah, very, very, very well. Very, yeah. Such powerful words there. And the harbor um, analogy, I love that. That's good. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. Can I steal that? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. So with well, that, like, you know, with that harbor metaphor, I mean, some come in with a really rickety boat. So, you know, they, they you know, they might need a little more time in, in the harbor than others. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That, that's a, a lovely way of putting it. So that's cool. Um, oh, I was going to say something really interesting then. Yeah. You, uh, you, you just, uh, you were mentioning, ah, it's not a race to become the best. And, Let's talk a little bit about junior golf because something yeah. that worries me is the good kids, yeah. the ones who are good early. Yeah, I, I I worry for them. The one who's like third or fourth, him him or her will be just fine. But the one who's like the best, they're winning like you know ten trophies a week, and they're walking around with their tour player like tour, like a tour player as a 12, 13 year olds. What like? What advice would you give them and their parents? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, actually, we have just developed a program for that. For that uh, remote, we have five different remote trainings now, and our latest remote training that we released in December is called Support Fifty Four, yeah. and it's exactly about this because we we greatly concerned, and both with the many of the top players we coached, a lot of the juniors coming our way, that because of the time we live in, the pressure many of them get under, and then with the social media and opinions, mm -hmm. and you know, many of those that you say are stars early on, we, we just know how much trouble they could run into, unless they learn to have a different view of competition and development and 
who they are versus who, what, what they do. So the, the, the support fifth world training is for anyone supporting a player. So it could be a parent, coach, later on a caddy, no, grandparents, whatever. But we know there's some foundational uh, reflections we need to make to understand how to communicate with a young golfer who, who is competitive. Yeah. So we that's ex- why we did this because most most parents of people supporting player we came around, they don't mean to put pressure on on them or the player themselves put pressure on themselves, but they're just untrained or don't know about how to reflect and what questions to ask and what to do to make their future really bright. Yeah. But, but when they're that good early on, they, what happens is that they get so identified by their, their 10 trophies. Yeah. They get so <laughs> identified by the outcome and they can, what, you know, the great book of um, Carol Dweck, they get in a fixed mindset, they get protective and almost scared and keep learning in case, mm going to have a dip in performance so it can really stop their future development if they don't get a lot of help yeah definitely and they don't build up that resilience do they if they're always winning they're always winning they don't they don't know how to to have failure really and failure is such an important part of learning because at some point no one's ever gonna like keep going i mean it's just there's nothing that's not true (laughs) You know, the organic excellence is like this and sometimes a little backslide and, you know, dips and so forth. So just to your point is that they need to learn some skills when that happens. They're both them yeah. and, and the people around them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a big point there, the people around them. Yeah. yeah so the, so uh, we we're, so we just yeah. decided now because we had extra time because so COVID <laughs> said, this is really because we 15 years ago we wrote actually a book that the American Junior Golf Association asked us to write. It's actually called Golf Parent for the Future. And it's just a small little booklet, but it's done enormously well. It's like in 12 languages, and many parents have really liked it, it's been really helpful. So when we create a support 54 now, it's more it's a little more expanded and updated and done mm-hmm. in a you know remote way but it's 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 very close to our heart and it's a topic we've cared about for a long long time yeah yeah i mean i'll just say we did a golf school in jan this january and uh, we had two uh young well i mean they're they're college players but both both very very promising you look at their golf swings you're like wow you look at their ball striking their short game you're like wow both of them were on the brink of wanting to quit mm-hmm. And again, we were just like, oh, they're like, in our way, we're like perfect for Vision 54 and that they just need to learn some more skills. And it's just been so fun to, to support them. And I mean, even in just like three weeks time, uh, this, this one player is like shooting six, seven under. She's now going to play at Augusta, at the Augusta Women's National, you know, Amateur Championship. Oh, you know, but it, and, I, her, and her dad just oh. texting and saying, "My daughter is finally smiling after a round of golf." And you know? he goes, "I, I get yeah. in there." You know, yeah. like he's so happy, and he didn't know what to do before. No, and so he yeah. he 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 too took part of this support fifty four training because he said, "I realize now I need to learn some other skills, so she doesn't feel the pressure from me because I haven't known how to communicate." So it's really mm. it's a big deal. Yeah, big deal. Yeah. Lovely. Okay, well, I'll make sure that's uh, in the show notes because that's, uh, that's an important part. Yeah. Look, we can't let you go without quickly talking about those three boxes above your head. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they are there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so the yeah, three boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Well, and we'll have to say that as we looked at the human skills, we, and we also looked at this on-course experience everybody has, that we said there's only really four places that people need skills, okay? They need skills before the shot. They need skills during the shot. They need some skills right after the shot. And then they need some skills between between shots. shots. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So so this to have a game plan that you actually focus on when you're playing has to do with that. So there are three boxes there. So we, you know, just to make things work and have a terminology, we call the time before the shot, you know, the think box is your pre-shot routine, whatever think box. And then the time when you're actually executing, we call it the play box. And then 
how you react to a shot, we call it the memory box. But it's really important that every shot has like the future component before the shot. It has a present component, which is <laughs> during the shot in play box. It has a past component, which is how you react to the shot. So, I mean, it's one of the beauties of the game that every shot has those. <laughs> and every player needs to figure out what works best for me before, during, and after the shot. And we don't think anyone could subscribe. Here is what everybody should do in the routine before, during, and after the shot, because we know every golfer is unique and different. But we found a way that more efficiently every player can explore what works best for them. Yeah. Okay. But, but yeah. I would say, I mean, how a player experiences this. So in, in the think box, we often say, I mean, everybody needs to make up their mind. <laughs> you need to make up your mind. You need to make a decision and commit to it. Yeah. You know, and sure. how you do that yeah. and like how much information you need or yeah. want or whatever. Well, all that can be very individual. Yeah, if a practice swing is helpful or not helpful. I mean, there's so many variables, but everybody, like Lynn said, you need to make up your mind. So it's all about knowing and never step into golf shot or putt without trusting to a high degree my decision. And I made a decision. So it's having that go signal. Yeah, that's mm. the main point. And, and with the play box, I mean, everybody experiences the play box differently. But the thing is, the main thing everybody needs to do is be there. It's <laughs> like to really be <laughs> present and pay attention, you know, yeah. and not have your... Your, your mind all over the place and not be in this cognitive thinking state anymore because that already happened, but to actually be athletically sensory present. Yeah, so some people realize, I do really well when I just pay attention to my 75% tempo or some realize, you know what? It's really good for me to just feel like, feel balance and holding my finish for two seconds or some realize like, you know, I just need to be like zeroed in on the target. So. But like Lynn said, everybody needs to figure out a few ways how you actually can pay attention to what you're doing during the motion. And that helps you. And you stay with it till the finish, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then with memory box, I mean, every time you make a swing or a stroke, you get an outcome, you know? And sometimes <laughs> the outcomes are good and sometimes you're not so good or sometimes they're good enough. Sometimes <laughs> they're so so. <laughs> right. But you got to. <laughs> Deal with it and you need to know what's the best way to deal with it because for your whole golfing life you're going to get that range of outcomes you know yeah. from mm -hmm. from great to good to good enough to so so to yeah. not very good at all yeah. <laughs> and just super shortly what we knew from know from the neuroscience is anytime i react with an emotion like internal external like oh, any kind of emotion the brain stores what just happened stronger as a memory and when I'm objective, neutral, when I say, okay, it's in the bunker and I move on, I'm just objective and no emotion, then the brain doesn't store it as strongly as memory. So it's just how every human brain functions on the planet. Mm -hmm. So what we come to realize is the most golfers, when they hit good shots, they go, oh, that was good. And they move on. So it stayed like objective to all the good shots. Or very yeah. little emotion. Yeah. So the brain doesn't, doesn't, doesn't record it. No. And then when they hit it off the heel or toe or whatever, something on like, oh, darn it, they always react. And they're wondering why they never get confident because what happens is when we store a memory and every time we have some kind of emotion that gets stored stronger, it shows up again when we have similar situations. So that's why if a child put their hand on the hot stove and they start crying, ah, the good news about that is next time the child comes to a hot stove, they can get a warning to back off because the brain just real remembers it. I don't have to think about it. It's just automatic memory. It's dangerous. Hmm. And they didn't know it before the first time, but now they know it. But the same happens on the golf course. So that's how people can really get scared of golf shots and have such low confidence because they're just not being good at their skills in the memory box. Yeah. And what, what happens is, I'm just going to get up here for a minute, is that if you don't have the skills to manage, those memories show up here. <laughs> oh, ah, get the water ball out. <laughs> oh, I hate this hole. <laughs> oh, I always flood my chips, right? <laughs> and then what happens? Then they take thinking into the play box. <laughs> and golf becomes extremely hard yeah. when you do that. Yeah. That's I mean, a great, great visual there. Love that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, we got to like, come on, clean it up. Clean it up. You know, we got to <laughs> make a decision, be present, deal with it in a productive way. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this is why I said it's so much part of golf fundamentals. It's not even funny. It's yeah. like it's part of every golf, every player's journey on the golf course. And when we, we talk to any of the greatest players we've been able to talk to through the history of, of times, they always talk about things that have to do with these kind of things. They don't mm. say, well, I played my greatest when my club face was in position. They they say, I played my best when my, my tempo was smooth. I played my best when my attitude after shots was really good. Or, I mean, those are the things they talk about, but every golfer can learn that, but we need to just change the culture in golf that learning these skills of actually playing the game, the human skills, gets equal treatment to the technical development. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 Brilliant, brilliant, gold, gold. <laughs> yeah, now we know you are, you're helping with that vision yeah. too. It's, uh, it's good stuff. In the think box, how important is visualization in there? Well, it's for some players, it's super important it's super and important, others, yeah. it's not. I mean, everybody needs to know where the target is, but some can more feel the target in their stomach or they, you know, they, they have different or, experiences. Yeah, or the their target. hands. I mean, one, one year at Augusta, Tiger even said, he goes, you know, everybody's talking about visualization and like mm -hmm. seeing the shot, like shot tracker. Mm -hmm. Did you know, I, he goes, I don't really see it that way. He goes, I feel the target yeah. in my hands. So and that that's just as valid a go signal and sensory experience as like having a very clear visual picture. So we, okay. we like to use the more more you know imagery that you have, you know, you need to have an Im imagery of your, what you want to do in the target, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily for some needs to be that focused on the visual sense. But for some players, it's absolutely essential. That's why we want them to explore and figure out what works best for me right. so so if i would would it be a better word to call it simulation rather than visualization maybe yeah or, sim, yeah it, you it know, could be yeah or how you experience the target and the shot yeah. you know yeah yeah well, but, you know, it, 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 but you do need to know where you're going yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> that always helps yeah, yeah, and we, we totally <laughs> believe in, you know, before rounds or in the evenings to do a lot of imagery of you playing great golf. We think that's awesome that you imagine yourself, you see yourself, you hear yourself, you feel yourself in the sense of the swing. And the more you can do imagery, if you want to call visualization of you, how you want to be on a golf course, it's like, it's terrific to do. You yeah. can, can only make you better. Yeah powerful stuff i love the fact you were saying earlier about the the, the think boxes like going into the future so you're predicting what's like going to happen yeah. making a decision yeah. then in the play box you're you're finding a way to i i call it the oh sugar moment yeah <laughs> we all have that going through our heads we find a way to calm down like what mm. techniques um I, I know you can't subscribe one technique for everyone but what are the options out there to help you calm down and be present yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we, we would say to be present, but not necessarily calm down because some play better with high adrenaline. So, okay. so just to calm yeah. down their thinking. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. some common ones that a lot of people like is 75% tempo is like for very many golfers over the age of 40, very right. popular. <laughs> or, or feeling a low center of gravity. Yeah. So literally, you know, I mean, you could equate this to force plates and all this other stuff technically, but, but, yeah. but more on an internal, uh, you know, perspective is that the player actually feels a low center yeah. of gravity. So they might feel their feet on the ground or that their quads are engaged yeah. or just, you know, just a low center of gravity. Chipping and pitching is very popular to make sure you have constant grip pressure because the inconsistency in grip pressure on those short shots is not very, very helpful. Because the, <laughs> we often say like the play box is not a nothing box. It's not blank. It's, it's actually very rich and, but it's rich in a sensory athletic sort of way, not in a cognitive thinking sort of way. Like it. I've often called it the Nike box as well. Have you heard that? <laughs> let's, do, yeah. let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so that's, a, that's sure. cool. Yeah. And what you about know, um, in putting? Many really like just to feel that they really stick and hold the finish because, especially putts, you know, 
two or three meters and in, so many get so outcome and they don't finish their stroke. So, you know, that is very common there. Okay. On so the, no, that's, uh, I was, was going to ask, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Have you got an example of that for the play box for, uh, for putting? Um, but that's, uh, that's great. What, what would, um, somebody turns up on one of your camps or your schools and uh, they've got the yips? Oh, we've had that a lot. And th yep. that, you know, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon because it, it usually has occurred because they've mismanaged their memory box. Yes, so, so mm. many sports. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the neuro, it's one way of the neurological wiring of, you know, almost a panic attack, you know, pre-shot. So long, long term for them is to clean up and their memory box. Yeah. That, that's essential for long term solving of this issue yeah and then often what they need to do is then have something that's very rich that they're going to pay attention to in their play box yeah. so i'll just say there's a there's a canadian pga tour player came for some coaching and the only thing that would really help his yips and chipping was singing neil young songs <laughs> and when he was just singing away and singing away inside he wasn't singing out loud where people could hear him you know <laughs> didn't occur because he, he was yeah. just he just reacted he was just so busy focusing on his singing that he just let his chipping motion be yeah but in, in some <laughs> we had one one young swedish guy who he just need realized he couldn't look at the ball anymore so he just looked like you know a foot ahead of the ball or even closed his eyes and then he could free up free up his motion because then it, the instinct of of fear didn't hit him and you know, others, what has helped a lot is that they make the sh play box time so much shorter and they, you never get static. You hmm. stay in motion, you go up, you move and you'd go. So in a good way, because yeah. their yips come from that they stand over the ball and way too long. And start yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really exploring things in think box and play box that can make it doable, but then everybody needs to do some work on their emotional skills to more longer term, not having this, you know, for it to get better and not reoccurring in other parts of the game or yeah. coming back with a new putter that works for a little bit, but doesn't work long term. Yeah. I just <laughs> so. have to tell a story because I love it is that we did a golf school or for a group of juniors in, in Italy. And we had this young guy that he had pretty bad case of the yips and Beppe, his name was Beppe. And we realized that he'd never like learned to take in anything good. I mean, he just didn't, he just didn't know how to do that. And he was so critical mm -hmm. of himself, a perfectionist and so forth. So his memory box was a mess. Mm -hmm. And that was really what was going on. So we just said, you know, Beppe, we're only here for the day, but you know, we're going to leave, but we would love if now we could stay in touch. And could you send us like every week or, you know, a couple times a week, like 10 things that you know you've done well? Hmm. He's like, I don't, I don't, he didn't even know how to focus on anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. he, he did. So he yeah. sent us an email, you know, he started, he said, you can start outside <laughs> of golf. So it would be started like, you know, I did my homework today or I went to my grandmother and helped her. He said, good. Yeah. And then, you know, he started to realize, you know what? I hit some really good bucket shots today. And, you know, it just starting. Yeah. He, he just started being able to, for his brain to recognize things when they went well. And the most amazing thing, I mean, of course, his yips went away. I mean, just totally just went away, but it was just from this whole fact that he had kind of bought into what is called the negativity bias. And, you know, he had a negativity bias of like about everything about everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. That's good. I've got just one last thing on the Ips. I had a lady come to me a couple months ago. Um, sorry, beginner golfer. Yeah. Give her a club, give her a putter. Talked about the skills of so reading the green hit the putt, this big yip. And I've never seen it in a, like, so she had no memory box, right? Because. Right, okay, yeah. So like, what's, yeah, what's going on well, there? It, it must must have clicked a memory for other similar situations. You know, it could be a similar situation being with a teacher in another situation that maybe it's been critical or it could have been. Yeah. It's something. A lot, a lot of squash. She did play a lot of squash. Yeah, so it must yeah, just trigger yeah. some similar situation in squash or something that then 
was brought over to this situation? Well, and I, I would have investigated. I had this years ago. I had this lady, same thing. I was like, whoa, where, where'd that come from? And then I was like, so then I just kind of watched her right hand and her left hand. And then I finally just said, um, are you completely right-handed? And she goes, yes. And I go, okay. I mean, but the way she said yes was like, I didn't believe it. Right. And then as I investigated more, she like, and it became a very tearful experience for her. She goes, well, actually, I was left-handed, but I went to Catholic school and the nuns whacked it out of my left hand and made me <laughs> do everything right-handed. So I'm actually kind of ambidextrous. I'm like, oh, of course, because there's this like internal confusion, you know, of left and right. And that's what was causing the yips. Totally. It had nothing to do with memory box. So actually, we just had her chip with left hand low. It was yeah. beautiful. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Always a solution, you ladies. You've always got a <laughs> That's good. Look, I'm uh, conscious you're on the lesson le on the yeah. lesson on the lesson tee uh, now, so I I've got to let you go. Look, yeah. I, I loved you before this call, and now I love you even more. So, you know, <laughs> thanks for thank the you. Yeah, great thank question. you, and thanks for having us. Yeah, and thanks thank for you. Doing, thank you for doing a great job for all the golfers.